Hello everyone, welcome back to Enjoy the Book of Life. Today we will be doing a People, Places, Things. So what is our theme today? I thought we might look at a, a rarely visited spot in the land of Israel. In Old Testament days it was called Afek. And it sits um, on the Via Maris, the way of the sea, that ran along the Mediterranean coast of Israel. And it had to uh, go up into the uh, foothills uh, where the Yarkon River ran down to the sea. Now this is uh, more or less where Tel Aviv is today. Okay. And um, um, this is in the plains of Sharon, as they're called. And uh, because it was a little swampy where the Yarkon ran into the Mediterranean, um, they built a fortress. They built the road a little higher up there. It doesn't uh, skirt the actual coast. And uh, this, this was a great location um, and a strategic spot on the road um, along the coast. Yeah, so definitely not one of the top ten cities if you know 10 cities in Israel, Afek is probably not one of them. Right, and yet it's only a Ludd Airport, where everyone lands generally, is like three miles away. Oh, okay. And there's a, a beautiful place to have a picnic. It's There's a, there's the source, the spring, that the Archon flows from. Uh, they've planted a bunch of eucalyptus trees there, a nice uh, parkland right there uh, where the Yarkon River begins. Okay, so where do we see uh, this place in Scripture? Where are we going to trace it through? Okay, so um, we're fooled a little bit because the road from Joppa, which is just beside Tel Aviv, runs to Jerusalem. It runs on an angle. So when you get, get in the bus, you travel this way to Jerusalem, you tend to think that Joppa and Jerusalem are in line with each other. But actually, the Yarkon River is draining the the mountains of Samaria. Oh, okay. Yeah. We're further north. Right, right. So it drains the mountains of Samaria. Um, so if you could imagine going from Jerusalem straight north, maybe 15 miles, 12 miles, and you come to um, Shechem and Shiloh, and this is where the Ark of God was. This is where the tabernacle was mm -hmm. in the days of Eli and Samuel. And um, uh, then going straight east, that's where we come to the city of Afek. Just a little bit inland, a little higher up on the hills, is Ebenezer. And Ebenezer uh, was the place where the Israelites encamped and the Philistines came up the coast and they encamped at Afek. So there was this showdown between the Philistines and the children of Israel. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 4, um, there's this battle fought between the two. In the story, um, we read that um, the, the Israelites were roundly defeated. Uh, mm -hmm. There was round one... Um, there were 4,000 Israelites killed. Oof. They said, whoa, why has God allowed us to be defeated? Why wasn't he with us? Uh, they're totally oblivious to the fact that 
the priesthood has become so corrupted that old Eli, who's blind and seemingly unconscious of what's going on, his sons Hophni and Phinehas are actually stealing the prime rib, stealing the T-bone steaks from the sacrifices before they're offered for their own barbecues and actually taking advantage of the women sexually when they come up to worship the Lord. That's total uh, moral corruption that God is going to reverse by the raising up of this boy Samuel, Mm -hmm. right? Hannah sees this and realizes the way that God works is by using men who will stand for God. And so she prays for a man-child that she can give back to the Lord. And so Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel 2 shows how this all works, right? Mm -hmm. And so Samuel is a young man at this point, and and Hophni and Phinehas then are called upon to rescue the Israelite army, bring up uh, the Ark of the Covenant, like some sort of uh, good luck charm, uh, uh, rabbit's foot, that's going to give us the victory. Well, what happens is that they bring up the ark, and when the men of Israel see it, it's like they cheer with this great uh, cheer, and it echoes down the valley to where the Philistines are. The Philistines hear this, and it's like, okay, we're in serious trouble here. These Israelites are really hepped up. And uh, they, I guess they get the news that the ark of God has arrived, and they say to one another, do you want to be slaves to the Israelites? Like the, like the Israelites have served us. Okay, fight for your wives and your kids. This is serious business. And so it actually is reverse psychology and the bringing of the Ark of the Covenant actually emboldens the Philistines mm. to fight like mad in order not to be defeated by the Israelites. And in the second round, 30,000 wow. Israelites were killed along with Hophni and Phinehas and the Ark of God is taken. And it makes this long, circuitous journey. It goes down to Ashdod, Azotus, on the coast, and then Eglon and Gath. And then eventually, we know the story how Dagon uh, falls over and his head and hands break off. And so they say, we better get this thing out of here because we remember what God did to the Egyptians. And they think they've been attacked by the hemorrhoid god. They make little gold hemorrhoids and little mice that have attacked them. And they, they, uh, this is really a fulfillment of Hannah's prayer mm. that uh, that the, the battle is not to the swift, uh, the the race is not to the swift. The battle is not to the strong. You would think these big Philistines. How would you defeat them? Maybe with, um, you know, thunder and lightning, tornadoes and all the rest. God said, no. I think hemorrhoids and and mice will do it. <laughs> and he brings them to their knees. And so they they send the ark back. The ark ends up going to Beth Shemesh. The men of Beth Shemesh look in. They, they also die um, because they think so lightly of the Ark of the Covenant. And then it, it ends up at um, Kiriat Urim, um, where it stays in the house of Obed-Edom until eventually David comes. And after a serious mistake where they put it on a cart, um, the Philistines put it on a cart. They didn't know any better, yeah. but the Israelites knew better. And it, it's priestly work to lift up this symbol of the Lord Jesus, the, thro- the throne of God, the meeting place between God and men. It was priestly work to lift it up. It's still priestly work to lift up the Lord Jesus. Mm. Because they didn't do it, um, the ark jostled 
on the cart and so Uzzah reached out to touch it and God became very upset. And why? Well, in contrast to the story of Dagon, when your God falls over, what do you do? You prop him back up. God says, look, I don't need to be propped up. Mm. Don't you dare think think that way. And so um, eventually the ark comes back up to Jerusalem and then is established at Gibeon, just outside to the northwest of Jerusalem. So it made this huge circuit until it eventually made it back. However, the point of the story is that it was here that that God essentially turned his back on the people who had turned their back on him. Mm. Why did God let this happen? Well, they were the ones who caused it, not God. They had, they had turned their back on God, and so he left them to their own resources. <clears throat> now, centuries roll by, and we have the same place, fallen into disrepair. Along comes Herod, and Herod rebuilds the city and names it after his father, Antipater. And so the city becomes known as Antipatris. It's still strategic. It's still located both at the source, the spring water of the Archon, and also at the place where um, the road uh, crosses over. And so it's, uh, it's, it's high ground. You have a great view of the whole region from, from uh, Antipatris. Um, Josephus says it's 50 stadia, I think, from Jerusalem to Antipatris. Antipatris is the halfway spot if you're taking a journey from the Jewish center to the Roman center. The city of Caesarea by right. the sea, Caesarea Maritima, was the Roman capital in Israel for 500 years. So if you're making the journey, this would be the halfway point. So we have a second story here, this time in the New Testament. We know that Paul is being held, and he's going to be transferred to Caesarea. Um, and um, the, a group of Jews plot to murder him on this journey. And um, his nephew somehow overhears this discussion, maybe in the marketplace, and he brings word to the, the police chief uh, that this is what's going to happen. They believe this boy, and uh, they set up a phalanx around Paul, put him on a horse, and right away they head off down the road. You can imagine these, these uh, Jews who have covenanted to kill Paul, and they say they're not going to eat or drink until he's dead. Yeah. I think they probably broke that promise <laughs> because around the corner comes this phalanx of Roman soldiers, foot soldiers, and and um, uh, mounted soldiers, and there in the middle is is the Apostle Paul. They come to Antipatris, stay overnight, and then continue in their journey to Caesarea. So I see in these two stories um, that at the same place, the Jewish people lost the Ark of God, and we know how the story continues. When they brought the news back, old Eli fell over and died yeah. when he got the news. Um, the last ruling priest, Eli, was a blind priest. The last judge, Samson, was a blind judge. The last king, Zerubbabel, Pardon me, uh, uh, Zedekiah, 
was a blind king. And the last church, Laodicea, is a blind church. Hmm. So God has some important things to say to us, right? And he says, I, I, the danger is that in this world full of information, where we're constantly bombarded with all sorts of things to see, that we don't actually see things the way God sees them. And so the Lord says, I counsel you to buy of me ISOV so that you can see. And what is that ISOV? I think it's, it's occupation with Christ. It's focusing on what he says in his word. And that gives us, as it were, this special uh, X-ray vision to see through all of the smoke and mirrors of the, of the world hmm. and to see things as they really are. So we have the, the nation of Israel losing the ark of God and essentially the, the ruling priesthood collapses at this point. Mm-hmm. Samuel is the transition man, and after this we have the kingship, right? So, so that's, that's one story. The other story is I think that Paul is Israel's last chance as a nation. So they had rejected the Shekinah glory in the Old Testament. The glory left, went out to the east gate, went across the Kidron to the Mount of Olives and went back to heaven and nobody even noticed. Uh, they, had the, they had their backs to the temple and their faces to the sun mm-hmm. and the glory of God disappeared from planet earth and didn't show up until that night when the angels declared glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Once again, the glory of God had come to earth in the person of the Lord Jesus, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Once again, they reject this. Away with him. We will not have this man to reign over us. Crucify him. And so the Lord Jesus was taken out of the way. God received him back into heaven. You lifted him up and put him on a cross. God lifted him up and put him on a throne. But the Lord Jesus said to the disciples, wait. There's going to be a third appeal of God to the human race. This time, the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. And what is the response of the Jewish people? These men are drunk. Mm -hmm. They utterly repudiate the work of the Holy Spirit, which was a fulfillment of a promise that God had made to them in Joel 2. They should have known. They should have recognized it. But they had no mind for, for God's intervention in their lives. They rejected him. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God gives Israel one final chance. Stephen is brought in uh, with the same shining face that, that Jesus had, the light of the glory of God manifested, reflected in Stephen. He's, he's brought before the Sanhedrin, lays the whole issue out before them, and if you can imagine, the Supreme Court puts their fingers in their ears and run on him, and they begin to stone him to death. As they stone him to death, Peter uh, 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 Stephen cries out and says, Lord, lay not this into their charge. Different than what Jesus said. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. It's on the list, but strike it through. Here, Stephen says, don't even put it on the list. It seems he, he longs for Israel to have one last chance, and it seems the last chance is the man looking after the coats that day, uh, Saul of Tarsus. So God gives... Um, one last chance to the nation of Israel, he saves one of the backroom boys, one of their own leaders who knows all the, the inside arguments that they use. Yeah. And, and, and yet 
Paul himself, then they say, we've got to kill him too. So it's at the same place. Now, in between the two is the story of David. David tries to join the Philistine army at the same place, mm. at, at, uh, at Afek. And, and he's rejected, of course, ends up going back to Ziklag, know the story there. But they almost lost their king there at the same place. He was rejected, officially rejected. Um, Saul was seeking to destroy him, and, uh, and yet he was God's man for the job. And so um, David ends up going over to the Gentiles. He's lost to the Gentiles because he's rejected by the Jewish people. And this, of course, prefigures the Lord Jesus, who also was lost to the Gentiles for a while because he was officially uh, rejected by the Jews. So it's it's a key location, and we have all these uh, threads coming together in this whole idea of of the the possibility. Now, the the one other factor is that the Yarkon River, which has its headwaters at Afek, or or at um, at, at Akif, this, this is the very place where the cedars of Lebanon were brought and brought up the Yarkon River up to Jerusalem um, to build the house of prayer for all nations. This was, this was, uh, these were the men who hauled it up to build the temple for the Lord in Jerusalem. So God doesn't give up on, the, on people easily. Uh, mm-hmm. You see this in the book of Jeremiah where he, God says, you've, you've left me times without number. But you know, if you'd come back, I'd take you again. Yeah. And God, he says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. And so um, in spite of the failure of man, time and time again, where they lose, almost lost the priesthood, almost lost the kingship. And when they lost this this great man of theirs, uh, one of their chief rabbis, in spite of all of this, um, God still goes on reaching out to his people. Yeah, I really enjoy, especially when we're looking at uh, these connections, the people, places, things, and we uh, we see that at the same geographic location, a repeating theme uh, showing its connectivity and that impact that it has about here again this this warning about what we value and what can be lost and and you see it with the Jews and they you know they want to win this battle but they lose the lives of all these people but then they lose the ark of the covenant and we see the ark return right and then the same with David right they didn't value him they they knew he was God's anointed right Saul knew he was a, yeah. the anointed they, they don't value him. They just about lose him, right? But again, he's he's brought back, and and then Paul, right? He's out sharing the gospel, and uh, and he's testifying, and and they, I mean, by the time he gets back to Jerusalem, they're like, who is this guy, right? And well, let's let's have him killed, and um, so I think seeing these connections. So a question I would have is, in the past, we've talked about Bethlehem. Right, and we've talked about like the fig tree and the olive tree, and and, and those are, are connections are a little easier to make. But here we've got an interesting situation where we have a name change, and this mm-hmm. happens geographically from Old to New Testament, especially. But even within a single testament, 
we'll see name changes right. or, or right. you'll see a reference where it'll talk about the city and then it'll talk about the valley. Well, those are, you know, the cities in the valley or right. something like that. So how do we catch those connections when we have those changes? Right. I think it's it's very helpful. You think of the Sea of Galilee, Tiberias, Kinneret, uh, all of these different terms that are used at the same place. Um, well, that's where a, like a Bible dictionary is helpful because it will link these together for us. Um, a lot of hard work can be had going through the Bible and finding the connections. But sometimes, like in this case, you just you wouldn't bump into it, I don't think. Yeah. Uh, but a, a history of Herod will tell you how he rebuilt this city of, of Afek and, and then renamed it. But um, and, and, you know, there are some interesting things there. They've they've found these execration texts where the Egyptians, the Egyptians actually controlled this area for quite some time before the. The Philistines came in, hmm. and uh, they found uh, Egyptian houses there. And these execration texts are are basically a hit list of the cities the Egyptians want to destroy, and Jerusalem is listed as one of them. Oh, wow. uh, so yeah, there have been some interesting discoveries there at at Afek. But uh, yeah, I think a Bible dictionary probably is the easiest way to make those connections. Uh, and just as you were going through those different stories. It's it's really key. I mean, the, these stories, some of them are more well-known than others, but, you know, some of them, the we wouldn't focus on some what we would call the little details. And very often, those are the connecting points. Right. You know, very often we'll learn the, the Bible story of the Ark of the Covenant being taken and falling, making, you know, Dagon falling, but where that happened, it's like, I don't know. And so just the focus of, of noticing those details and saying, hey, I wonder, I wonder if this place shows up somewhere else. And, and letting those details be a source of looking for connections. And because, again, if we don't notice it, then we don't question it. We don't search it out. Right. Yeah. 